Thank you for that. Amen. Take your Bibles, please, over to 2 Timothy chapter number 3. 2 Timothy chapter number 3. While you're turning, let me just say, I love this church. I love y'all. I love, I love my church. Amen. I love, I love preaching here. Um, I brag on you everywhere I go. In fact, I have to be careful. I have to be careful. Because I don't want to make nobody jealous of how awesome a church I get to pastor. Brother Brock, this, this, this afternoon, he said, man, I tell you, God's in that place. He said, God, God's doing stuff. I said, it's like it's all the time. And um, I'm just grateful for what God's doing here. Amen. I, I, I'm guilty of a lot of things, but taking this church for granted is not one of them. Did you hear what I just said? I said, I'm guilty of a lot of things. I'm going to stand before God and give an account for a lot of things. But taking, taking this church for granted is not going to be one of them. I thank God for this church. I thank God for what he does in my heart in this place. I thank God for it. I mean it. I've been in some dead churches in my day. I ain't, I, I've, been, I've been in churches. I felt sorry for the people. I felt sorry for the pastor. I've walked out of places. I felt like I needed to wipe the cobwebs out of my hair and say, Lord of mercy, I'm glad I ain't a member here. I love this place. I love what God's doing here. And I ain't joking when I say it. I just don't want to get in the way. I just don't want to mess up what he's doing. And um, liberty to preach. God wake me up at 5 o'clock in the morning and lays a message on my heart not once to ever think, well, I wonder what the church is going to think about that. That don't ever cross my mind. That never crosses my mind. I just always want to be obedient, and I love being able to pastor in a place where I can obey God and follow God, and the church don't get all crazy about it. Amen. I love it. And just like that while ago, I felt like God wanted us to help that missionary out. Y'all did too, didn't you? Amen. Amen. Just felt like we all have the same heartbeat and the same desire. And I thank God for that. There are, I got a text message from a preacher yesterday. He said, pray for me. He said, I'm having a split. It's happening everywhere. Church members getting, getting crossways with the man of God and churches everywhere splitting and falling apart and closing their doors and shutting down. I love being somewhere where God's at. Amen. Life's too short to go to a dead church. Amen. The church that's alive is worth the drive. I get phone calls. We got people watching online. They say, I don't have a church in my town. I said, move. Rent a U-Haul and get out of there. Amen. Life's too short to go somewhere, live somewhere where there ain't no church. Amen. We got churches all over the country. We got one right here in Dundalk. Praise God. Hallelujah. And I'm glad I'm here. I just had to get that off my chest. Amen. Leave all that in the message too when you crop it for YouTube. Leave all that testimony in there. Somebody, somebody might need to move to Dundalk. Who knows? Amen. Second Timothy chapter 3. Are you there? Stand with me please. We're just going to read a couple of verses. 
Verse number 14, Paul's writing to Timothy, he said, But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them, and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Verse 16 is our text. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. And it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. We're going to look up tonight. We're going to be in part three of the series. The first two messages dealt with the revelation. Tonight we're going to start a couple of messages on the inspiration of Scripture. Father, we pray that you'd bless us now. I pray that you'd make this message alive. And Lord, I pray that we'd, we'd understand Lord, how you gave us the word of God. We're grateful that you did. But I pray that through this series, we have a greater love and appreciation for our Bible and for the word of God. It's our prayer in Jesus' name. And amen. Thank you for standing. You can be seated. And so the revelation was the first two messages that we looked at where God revealed the secret things unto man, used a variety of ways to do that. All of them were miraculous. All of them were supernatural. The visions, the dreams, the urine, the thumen, all those, the angels, the, the, the audible voice to man, uh, the angels of God, and of course the ultimate uh, revelation was the Word became flesh. Jesus Christ came and was the Word personified. But the revelation was the fact that God gave us His Word. The inspiration is the way that God chose to give it. That's what we're going to look at tonight. It's going to take several messages. We drill down a little bit on this concept but God revealed himself. God revealed himself through all those ways that we just touched on. And then he had those many different revelations recorded, written down through what we call inspiration, what God calls inspiration. Two points tonight. I want to look at, first of all, the mentions of inspiration that we find in the scripture. Now, there are, there are literally scores scores of verses that prove inspiration. And we're going to look at just a few of them tonight and maybe a few more next week as we get into the doctrine a little bit. But there are two places specifically that give us great insight into this doctrine that we call inspiration, that God calls inspiration, all right? I don't want to say this. The, the doctrine of inspiration is a Bible-based doctrine, okay? And it's mentioned several times in Scripture. One is here in our text tonight in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and in verse number 16. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. All right? And this word inspiration here in the Greek is uh, a word called theopnostos, which literally means God breathed. Okay? So just like in, Revel in Genesis chapter number 1, when God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. The word inspiration means God breathed, okay? And so we believe that the scriptures are literally from the heart, the mind, the mouth, the breath of Almighty God, all right? One reason why we emphasize Scripture so much is because we do believe in the inspiration of Scripture, all right? Even the psalmist says he's exalted his word above his name, okay? He's exalted his word above his name, and he's got a lot of names, but there's only one word, all right? 
And uh, there's a whole lot of names of God. There's a whole different lot of names throughout the scripture that, that the Bible uses to describe God, an attribute or characteristic of God or a, a personality of God. We could get into all that. Uh, and then Jesus has a lot of names. All right. And, 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 uh, but the word, there's one word. There's one word. And it was given by inspiration of God. And so uh, I'm, I'm praying that through this series that we'll just have a greater love and appreciation for the word of God. And uh, as a result of understanding how we got our Bible, the Lord gave the word and great was the company that published it. So we see in our text in 2 Timothy chapter number 3, we see the word inspiration here. But I want you to turn over to 2 Peter chapter number 1, and we're going to look at this doctrine, and it's worded uh, a little bit different, and it's also explained a little bit more clearly as to how this process works. And in 2, Timothy, uh, 2 Peter chapter number 1, the Bible says in verse Number 19, we have also a more sure word of prophecy. Now, this is important that you get what he's referring to here. A more sure word. That's a comparison. We have a more sure word. He's comparing the surety of the word of God to the previous statements. And the previous statements is he's referring to his experience on the Mount of Transfiguration. Remember when Jesus went up on the Mount of Transfiguration and he took with him the inner circle, Peter, James, and John, they were with him there. Jesus had a conversation with Elijah, with Moses, and the Bible says that Jesus was transfigured. The Bible says that he was changed. And he looked a lot like what John the Revelator saw in Revelation chapter number one. And he described the, just the light and just the glory and, and it, was, it, was, it was awesome and it was overwhelming. And he heard a voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And they saw Moses and Elijah standing there who had been dead forever talking to Jesus. And man, the Bible says there was a great cloud overshadowed them and they fell on their face. You remember that story? Man of transfiguration. That's what he's referring to in the previous verses. Verses number 16, 17, and 18. We were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For we received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven, we heard when we were with him in the holy mount. Peter, writing this epistle, said, I was there. We were eyewitnesses of his majesty. We saw him in his glorified form before he was resurrected. This is amazing. This is, I mean, this is, this is amazing when you think about it. I mean, for him to, Brother Daniel, for them to have seen him like that after the resurrection, we would kind of understand that a little bit. This is before the crucifixion. This is before the resurrection. He's, he's still got his fleshly body. They saw him transfigured. I mean, su supernatural took place. And they said we were eyewitnesses. We saw it with our eyes. And we heard it with our ears. One of only three people beside the Lord Jesus Christ to have witnessed what took place on the Mount of Transfiguration. And then in verse number 19, he says, but we have a more sure word. We have something that's more sure than a personal experience. When I was there and I saw it with my eyes and heard it with my ears. We have a more sure word. What's he talking about? He's talking about the word of God. This book right here, stay with me, is more reliable than anybody's personal experiences, even the personal experiences of the people in the Bible where the stories of that is in the Bible. No wonder Paul said, if you hear another gospel 
preached unto you other than what I preached, even if an angel from heaven came and preached, don't listen to them. Because we have something more reliable. Okay? Well, you get down to verse number 20, and he says this, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation. This is not one man's words or one man's ideas. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man. You got to understand something. The Bible was not a man's idea. Right. Amen. Even people say it all the time. Well, that Bible was just written by a bunch of old Jews. First of all, it wasn't their idea to write the book to start with. Right. Okay. The Bible says that the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. All right. Let's drill down on that verse a little bit. This passage teaches us a powerful and supernatural working of God in the giving of Scripture. That word moved in, 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 in the Greek, it literally means born alone, carried alone. Okay? If I were to take this, if I were to take this pen, if I were to take a pen, I don't have a pen, but if I had a pen and I were to begin to write on a piece of paper, You'd say, Pastor Shiva's writing something. Well, technically, the pen's writing. But the pen is incapable of writing on its own. It's writing what I move it to write. These human authors were born along, carried along. They, they wrote and spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. They were the human instruments of God. That word, Born along, or that word moved in verse number 21 is the same Greek word that you find in Acts 27, that story of that great storm, Eurachlodon. Remember when Paul was on that ship and they threw off all the stuff and threw out all the stuff and girded it up and it was being tossed about. And the Bible tells us in Acts 27, uh, just to bring you up to speed with the story, when the ship was caught, verse 15, it could not bear up into the wind, we let her drive. And running under a certain island which is called Clauda, we had much work to come by the boat, which when we had taken up, they used helps undergirding the ship and fearing lest they should fall into the quicksands, strake sail, and so were driven. So were driven. That word driven in Acts 27, verse 17, is the same Greek word that we find in 2 Peter chapter number 1, verse number 21. In other words, it speaks of being under the control of another power. That ship was being carried by the wind. It had no say whatsoever in where it went. It went wherever it was carried. These holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Paul called it inspiration. Peter said they spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. So as God spoke, men wrote about 40 different authors over the span of 1,600 years in perfect unity, in perfect harmony, many of them referring to each other, not just each other by name, but each other's writings as Scripture. Y'all still with me? So we see the mentions of inspiration. Now I want to look at the means of inspiration. The doctrine of inspiration simply means that God used human writers to pen the scriptures in such a way, watch this, that they wrote the very words of God all while maintaining their own personality and literary style 
in the process. That to me is absolutely fascinating. You say, well, I just don't believe that it's the word of God if it's got their style of writing, it's got their vocabulary, it's got their own personality bleeding through it. I just don't believe that, that, that God could give us his words through these. You could write, the, you could write a, a word with a crayon, write it with a magic marker, write it with a pencil, write it with a quill, write it with a stick. It's still your words. It's just going to look different. It's going to have the character of whatever instrument that you're using. It's fascinating to me. And as people say, well, I just don't believe God can do that. Well, God can use a human author to write down his word, trust me, as easy as he could use the urine and the thumen, as easily as he could cause those stones in the breastplate to glow and give light and give confirmation. Hey, that's pretty awesome to me. I mean, you want to talk about one of the most mysterious things in the Bible. Yeah, you can study that if you want to. Good luck with that. It, the Bible don't give us much. It just tells us there's lights and God would confirm direction through the breastplate. Well, if he can do that, he can do anything. And I'm saying if he can do that with tongue in cheek, obviously, he can do whatever he wants to do. Lord of mercy, he used to ask to talk under when Balaam was there. Amen. If, if, ba if Balaam's ass can talk, come on. I just don't know if a person can write down what God said and, and it be what he said and have their personality. Hey, talk to, the, talk to the donkey. The donkey that had enough sense, enough reason to say, man, I've been good to you. What's your problem? Yeah, you want to talk about tripping on something. Go read that story. It's unbelievable. So, there are several different distinct ways that God used inspiration that we break it down to give us his word. These are some Bible college terms, but we're going to try to make it fun tonight. Number one, there's, there's a term called confluent inspiration. Let me say this. We don't have to understand it to believe it, do we? I mean, if we've got to understand it to believe it, we're going to have a problem with the virgin birth. If we've got to understand it to believe it, we're going to have a problem with the Trinity. If we're going to understand it to believe it, we're going to have a hard time. I got a hard time understanding the how that after the resurrection, Jesus could come through a wall with a body, eat food, and then go back through that wall. And the food went with him. It didn't stick on the wall and slide down the wall. I mean, that kind of stuff I think about. Huh? The food, after he ate it, it must have become glorified. Come on now. Does anybody else think like that when you read your Bible? Like, how? If we have to understand it, to believe it, we all might as well just pack up and go home now. And see, here's the problem with this whole thing about the Word of God. We got a bunch of brainiacs out there that if their limited IQ cannot figure it out, they just don't believe it. Well, see, that's what separates unbelievers from believers. We are Bible believers. I believe all of it. I believe that the whale swallowed Jonah. He lived there for three days and it vomited him out. And if the Bible had said that Jonah swallowed the whale, I'd believe that too. Because I believe the Bible. One miracle is no harder or more difficult for me to understand than the other. Confluent inspiration. God chose to give us his word using two distinct agents, the divine and the human, working together. We know from multiple passages of Scripture, I'm only going to give you a couple of them, that God spake through the, are you ready, the words of men. 
in Acts chapter 4, verse 25. All these notes will be on the website after the service. So you don't have to try to write all this down. Just listen. Acts 4, 25, the Bible says, Who by the mouth of thy servant David hath said. Talking about God. Who by the mouth of thy servant David hath said. Why did the heathen rage and the people imagine vain things? God was speaking through the mouth of David. Acts chapter 13, verse number 35 says, Wherefore he hath saith also in another psalm, talking about God. God said in another psalm, Thou shalt not suffer thine holy one, capitalized, holy one, capitalized, holy, capitalized one. Thou shalt not suffer thine holy one to see corruption. That's a messianic psalm. That God spoke through David. Did David fully understand what he was writing? I doubt it. But this is a messianic psalm that Jesus' body would not see corruption in the grave. Which is why we use unleavened bread, unleavened fruit of the vine at the communion. Jesus' body was without sin and it was without corruption. Amen. Acts chapter 8 verse number 1. Acts 8 1. Moreover, I'm sorry, Isaiah 8 1. Moreover, the Lord said unto me, Isaiah said, Moreover, the Lord said unto me, Take thee a great roll, R-O-L-L, like a roll, like a manuscript, like a scroll. Take thee a great roll and write in it with a man's pen. So he took a, he took a, a, a scroll and a pen and wrote what God told him to write, which is the same thing John did in, in Revelation, did he not? That's what it says in, John, in Revelation chapter number 1. Write, write these things. John started writing. Did he understand Revelation? No. There's no way. There's things in there we don't understand. There's no way he understood it, but he wrote what he saw. Isaiah chapter 30, verse number 8. God said, now go, write it before them in a table and note it in a book that it may be for the time to come forever and ever. Go write what I'm telling you in a book and when he wrote it, it was scripture. It was inspiration. He was inspired by God to write what God said. That's called confluent inspiration. That's two agents, human and divine, working together to give us our scripture. Now, God could have chosen to give us our Bible a dozen different ways. He could have wrote them on the side of a mountain somewhere. You go down to Stone Mountain, Georgia, fly over Stone Mountain, going into Atlanta, there's a big old piece of granite sticking up out of the ground. Some of y'all ever been to Stone Mountain, Georgia? And on the side of that mountain, there's a Confederate carving of these generals on these horses. And these people go and sit down, have a picnic, they look at this cool piece of art on the side of this mountain. God could have wrote his word on the side of of a mountain like he did when he wrote the tables. Could he not have? Absolutely. He could have wrote them in the constellations. He could have wrote them on the back of a leaf. He could have wrote them on, he could have done anything. But this is how he chose to do it. Human and divine agents working in sync together under the inspiration of scripture. Number two, we believe in verbal inspiration. This means that we believe that the very words of scripture are God's words. Now listen, this is important. This is more than than man just capturing the general idea. This is not man just trying to get the, 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 the thought and the concept and break it down for us. We believe that the Bible is verbal inspiration, meaning the very words are scripture. In 1 Corinthians 
chapter 2, verse 13, Paul said, Which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. Paul's writings are amazing, but they were the words of God. Matthew chapter 24 and verse number 35, Jesus said, Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. Verbal inspiration. Jeremiah chapter 1, verse number 9. I'm just giving you a couple. There's dozens, dozens. Then the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said unto me, Behold, I have put my words in thy mouth. Man, what an amazing thing. Verbal inspiration. In Matthew chapter 5 and verse number 18, the Bible even emphasizes the significance of the jot and the tittle. The jot is the smallest letter in the Hebrew language. And the tittle is the little tiny accent marks above some of those words and letters. And Jesus said this in Matthew 5, 18, Verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. So I have no problem believing that we have the very words of God when God said even the punctuation is inspired. There are many verses of Scripture that teach us that we have the very words of God. Exodus chapter 24 and verse number 4, Moses wrote all the words of the Lord. And Moses wrote all the words of the Lord. When you're reading over there in Exodus and Leviticus, and you're reading those verses and it just is kind of dry, and you're like, man, you know what y'all do? Just take a step back and realize this is the words of God. You may not understand it all. And some of that don't even apply today. Some of the dietary laws. Some of the, some of the ceremonial laws maybe. But God was so interested in us, Brother Gene, having his words that Moses wrote down the words. These are the words, by the way, that Josiah read. That shit, that, that, remember that story where they said, we found the book? Remember that? They was cleaning out the temple. We found the book. We found the law. And they stood and they read it to the king and he rent his clothes. Remember that? I just preached on that. This is the, they read the stuff that Moses wrote down. That was the words of God. David said in Psalm chapter 12, verse number six, the words of the Lord are pure words. As silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. If you know anything about biblical numerology, you know the number seven means perfection, completion. The word of God has been purified as silver tried in a furnace of fire, purified seven times. <laughs> we have the words of God. Proverbs chapter 30, verse 5 and 6 Every word of God is pure. Man, he is a shield unto them that put their trust in him. Verse 6. This is Proverbs 30, verse 6. Listen to this. Add thou not unto his words, lest he reprove thee, and thou be found a liar. 
Don't add to his words. Just write down what I said. Don't write down what you think I meant. Don't reword it. I've written a number of books and a couple of them I had to spend some money and pay somebody to proofread it and somebody to edit it because I'm really, really, really bad when I'm preaching to butcher the King's English. Can I get a witness? I, you wouldn't believe it. I made an A in school in English. I know how. I just don't. It ain't fun to do it right. And sometimes they transcribe what I preach and they're like, whoa, I got to reword that. I said, just be careful. I don't want it to not sound like me. And they'll edit it. And I was like, you clean that up pretty good. They edit what I said. And it's what I said, but it's not how I said it. It's, it's right. <laughs> it's the correct way. Y'all still with me? God said, don't do that to what I'm telling you. You write down what I said. You write down my words. Oh, and they did. <laughs> we have his word. Amen. Here's what Jesus said in Matthew 4, 4. This is what Jesus quoted to the devil. Man shall not live by bread alone. Are you ready? But by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. I want to ask you a question. If we're supposed to live by every word, wouldn't it stand to reason he would give us an every word book? Wouldn't it stand to reason if we're going to be held accountable to live by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God that he would give us a book that's got every word in it? Sure. Only makes sense. It's called verbal inspiration. Secondly, there's plenary inspiration. The word plenary means all the parts are alike. Okay. That means that we believe that all of the Bible is inspired and that all of it is equally inspired. None of it's more inspired than the other. A person that will throw some dumb comment out sometime and say, oh, yeah, that's Old Testament. They don't understand this. Okay, there's things in the Old Testament, as I said a few minutes ago, ceremonial laws, dietary laws for the, for the nation of Israel. I mean, we eat catfish. They, they couldn't eat catfish. They couldn't eat pork. Aren't you glad we can eat sausage, amen, and bacon? Hallelujah. Praise God, Mission Barbecue, here I come. They couldn't eat pig. They couldn't eat catfish. They couldn't eat certain things. God has very specific dietary laws for them. We don't have that under the New Testament dispensation. Let me tell you something. Dismissing Scripture because it's Old Testament proves you don't understand plenary inspiration. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. That's our text. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. Hey, let me tell you something. And it's profitable. Even the parts that may not be applicable today are very profitable when we understand why God did it in the first place. There's not a doctor out there that wouldn't tell you you'd probably be better off not eat pork. Is it a sin to eat pork? No. But there was a reason why he had them not eat pork. Right. Undercooked pork will put you in the hospital. Come on, y'all. You'll get worms and everything else. I mean, they're filthy. <laughs> Praise God for pork. Hallelujah. <laughs> but, but they're profitable for instruction and for doctrine and for reproof. Instruction and righteousness. The New Testament is not more inspired than the Old Testament. Many of the New Testament writers referred to the Old Testament passages as Scripture. 
in, in, in Romans chapter 9, verse number 17, the Apostle Paul said, as the Scripture saith. And he quoted Exodus 9, 17. Okay, now watch this. Paul said in Romans 9, 17, as the Scripture saith, quoted Exodus 9, 17. You get to Exodus 9, 17, and the Bible says, and the Lord said. So in Exodus it says, and the Lord said. New Testament, Paul said, as the Scripture saith. He believed it was inspired. Right. He called it Scripture. Right. Sure. Romans 9, 9, 17, for the Scripture saith unto Pharaoh. You get over to Exodus 9, 13, and the Lord said. It's awesome. Thus saith the Lord God. And it goes on down. So the, the New Testament writers referred to the Old Testament books as Scripture. It's called plenary inspiration. Number four, we believe in what the Bible, we believe in inerrant, inerrant inspiration. Now what this means is that the word inerrant means that it's not liable to be proven false or mistaken. In other words, it can hold up under scrutiny. <laughs> we believe the Bible is correct in every single detail. I get tickled at Every now and then you'll get some news headline, some archaeological find over in the, in the Holy Land. Oh, we found this temple. We found this rock. We found this piece of wood. Or we found this stone. And oh, guess what? That king did exist. And that city did exist. We're like, no, duh. We knew that. It's in the Bible. We don't need archaeological confirmation of the Bible. It's awesome. It's fascinating. But I'm not sitting back waiting for... Some lost person to tell me my Bible's right. J.M. Boyce, the Bible theologian, said this What Scripture says, God says, through human agents and without error. Let me give you some Bible verses to back up this belief in the inerrant, in the inerrancy of the Word of God. Hebrews 6, 18, that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie. <laughs> I love that verse. God cannot lie. Now the devil is a liar and the father of lies. Everything that comes out of that snake's mouth is a lie. And he owns Hollywood and the mass media. Everything you read has got some angle or level of deception to it. You can mark, if you hadn't figured that out by now, bless your heart, I don't know what to say. If you still read the news and go, oh my goodness, I can't believe that happened. That ain't what happened. The devil can't tell the truth and God cannot lie. Amen. That by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie. Did anybody see that video that Andy Stanley put out last week? He had a video. He had a screen. And he had words on the screen. And he was preaching. This is Charles Stanley's son. Pastor's in North Atlanta near for South County somewhere. He's an apostate. Full blown. 100% heretic. If you see him, you tell him I said that. He had it on the screen. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And he proceeds in this three-minute video. It was all I could do to finish watching this three-minute video. It was like listening to somebody scratching on a chalkboard 
where he said, Jesus loves me. He said, we teach our children, Jesus loves me. This I know for the Bible tells me so. He says, and that's the problem. He said, we built a house of cards for our children. They think that they should believe Jesus loves them because the Bible says so. And then he proceeded to give this long list of things that he don't believe is even true in the Bible. Including a young earth. He said the, the, the earth is billions of years old. Had the, he had the exact number. He's real smart. He had the exact number of how many billions of years the earth is as opposed to a young earth. And, and, and some of the miracles, the walls of Jericho did not fall down. Andy Stanley said that. And so he says, we can't tell our children that Jesus loves them because the Bible tells us so, because the Bible's got errors in it. I wanted to throw my computer across the room. I'm sorry, but if there's one story in that Bible that is not true, you can burn that book. It's no good to me. If there's one thing in it that's wrong, I said you can throw it in the garbage. Why would you even stand up behind the pulpit, try to pastor a church if you don't believe the Bible? They don't believe in the inerrancy of Scripture. They're apostates. All of them. Every last one of them. The minute they put a question mark where God put a period, I'm done with them. I'm done with them. Let me finish this verse. Y'all quit. I'm trying to preach. <laughs> Hebrews 6, 18, that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hope upon the hold upon the hope set before us. This is, this is, a, this is a hope. We can put our hands on it. We can believe it. Titus chapter number one, verse number two, in hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. He cannot lie. Now sometimes he allows a long span of time to happen between what he said is going to happen and it happening. You realize how much time transpired between the Garden of Eden when, when God looked at that serpent when he was giving out all the curses? And here's what he said. He said, he said her seed is going to bruise your head. It was a long way between there and Calvary. But it happened. The devil still don't know what hit him in the head that day. He thought he had him. He thought he had him when old Judas betrayed him. He thought he had him in the garden. He probably tried to kill him with a heart attack in the garden. How many times did they gather around him during his ministry and try to cast him off of a cliff or stone him and he just slipped right away? Boy, the devil thought he had him. He thought he had him. Jesus died on that cross and when he said it is finished, he stomped the devil right in the head. The seed of that woman. That prophecy was fulfilled. Man, I'm getting, I feel like preaching, praise God. It might take a while between the prophecy and the fulfillment, but if God said it, you can take it to the bank. That book's right. You better believe it's right. He told Moses, he said, he said, he said I'm going to send a prophet like unto Moses. I got a message I preached years ago. I need to dig that thing out and dust it off. My soul, what a message. And all the things about Moses that Jesus was a, was a reflect, it was unbelievable, the typologies. He said, I'm going to send a prophet like unto Moses. He was talking about Jesus. That was a long time between him saying that and it happening. 
but it happened. 109 roundabout messianic prophecies. Daniel, am I close? 109 roundabout, 110 messianic prophecies in the Old Testament between all those different books, between Psalms, Isaiah, Zechariah, all those books, about 109, 110 different prophecies pointing to Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ was born in Luke chapter number 2 and throughout his ministry and at his death and his burial and his resurrection, he fulfilled every single solitary one of them. You can take it to the bank, friend. I mean the little details. Every little bit of it was right. We believe that. If you don't believe that, you don't believe in an errancy of Scripture. And if you don't believe in an errancy of Scripture, you're not a Bible believer. Plain, straight up, plain and simple. You can't pick and choose. Numbers chapter number 23, verse number 19, God is not a man that he should lie. Come on, y'all. How many of you in here has ever lied? Raise your hand. I'm going to stand here to every last one of you. Stick your lying hands up. Every last one of you. We started lying when we was in the crib. Crying like we was getting our throat cut. There wasn't a thing in the world wrong with us. Liars. All of us. Liars. God's not a man, Numbers 23, 19. God's not a man that he should lie. Neither the son of a man that he should repent. Hath he said and shall he not do it? Or hath he spoken, and shall he not make it good? If he said it, you can believe it. John chapter 10, verse number 35 says this. If he called them small g gods, if he called them gods unto whom the word of God came, and the scripture cannot be broken. Scripture cannot be broken. Inerrancy of scriptures. Hey, this is important doctrine right here. And I'm going to tell you, this is right here is what separates Bible believers from Bible criticizers and Bible deniers. Amen. If you're going to be a Bible believer, you've got to believe all of it or none of it. All or none. I'm, I'm an all or none kind of person. Amen. If that's the Word of God, it's the Word of God. It don't contain the Word of God. It is the Word of God. Number next, here's the last one. We believe in infallible inspiration. Now here's what this means. This means that we believe the Bible is completely without error in its teaching. It's not just inerrant in its, in its recording, but it is infallible in its teaching. Now let's expound on that just a second. This is awesome to me. The Bible is incapable of teaching deception or lies or false doctrine. And every false doctrine pretty much out there, with the exception of those Eastern religions that don't even refer to the Bible, but the cults, they, they, they will take this, this Bible right here and they will come up with unbelievable, damnable heresies that they extract and twist and wrestle and take out of context and isolate and they don't compare Scripture with Scripture. But this Bible is incapable of teaching lies. That's why you'll hear me say it all the time. Read your Bible. Read the Bible. Get grounded in the Word of God. Psalm 119, verse number 160. Thy Word is true from the beginning. And every one of thy righteous judgments endureth forever. Thy, thy, thy word is true from the beginning. All of it. 
John 17, 17, Jesus said, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Now some people mistakenly use inerrant and infallible interchangeably. They're not the same thing. Inerrant means the Bible is without error in its recording. Infallible means it's without error in its teaching. It's important to know that all Scripture, stay with me now. I'm not trying to confuse you. Stay with me. All Scripture is infallible, but it is not, not all authoritative. Let me explain. The Bible records the words of Satan, does it not? Genesis, Job, for example. It records verbatim exactly what Satan said. Matthew 4. It records exactly what Satan said, but Satan's words are not authoritative. Okay, so inaccurate statements are recorded accurately. Y'all understand what I'm saying? What they're saying may be false, but it is recorded correctly for us to see that it's false. So their words are recorded. It's inerrant and it's infallible in its inspiration, but it's not authoritative because of who's saying it. Look at Job. Good night, his three friends. What a bunch of idiots. I mean, you read the book of Job. My Lord, with friends like that, who needs enemies? His three friends stared at him for seven days, and then when they started talking, I bet he wished he'd gone back to staring. They said a bunch of stuff. The Bible records it verbatim, what they said. But what they said, a lot of it was not true. It's not authoritative. All right. What they say may be in contradiction to other scriptures because it's not true, but it is recorded accurately. Now, these are just some of the, we're going to dive into this deeper next week, Lord willing. We're going to dive in deeper into this inspiration. And it's fascinating at what the writers, the confluent agents, the two, the, the, the human and the divine, it's amazing at how the human writers of Scripture looked at other human writers of Scripture. They all agreed it was the Word of God. Amen. It was the Word of God. They believed in it. They believed in it. I believe in it. I hope you believe in it tonight. I want to just close with this. I'm going to say this every message if I can remember. This Bible is God's Word. It's God's Word. If He said it, you can believe it. I don't care how many people out there with bigger churches and bigger names and more degrees after their name says otherwise. This Bible right here is the Word of God. And we're going to get to the place, listen to me, we're going to get to the place where the people that believe like what I just preached, they're going to be far and few between. Or few and far between. You're going to get to the place to where the first question you're going to want to ask a preacher is, do you believe that that Bible is the inspired and infallible and inerrant Word of God? If they say no, walk away. Run away. Run away. Don't waste another minute talking to them. Because ain't nobody out there smart enough to correct God. We don't need anybody correcting and editing what God said. I don't need nobody in the pulpit with a pen knife cutting out the stuff they don't believe. Like that king did in the Bible. Take this Bible and turn it into confetti. I don't believe that. I don't believe that. Well, we know that's not true because we've had some. Just stop right there. Stop. 
Walls of Jericho didn't fall down? If that story is not true, the whole Bible's a lie. I'm sorry. I don't care what the archaeologist said. I don't need some secular academic scholar somewhere to tell me God lied to me. I ain't going to listen to it. Amen. I'm going to stay in my echo chamber. Amen. I'm not talking to Bible critics. I put some out on social media about Andy Stanley. I said he's a full-blown apostate. Some guy said to me, did you call him and ask him about what he said? I'm like, you mean call the guy that has a video of him standing there talking, pointing to a PowerPoint with a little stick, pointing to the words that's coming out of his mouth that's on the screen. You mean call and ask him if that's what he said? What in the world is your problem? No, I didn't call him. Were you supposed to call him? You can drop dead, moron. I don't have to call him. He's a heretic. He's a heretic. Did you listen to all of his messages and all the series? Are you kidding me? I couldn't hardly get through three minutes of that mess. Are you kidding me? See, that's the problem with people. Well, let's listen to the whole series. Why would I want to listen to any series of a man that thinks my Bible's full of lies? Don't listen to them. Well, you're so closed-minded, you have no idea. I'm closed-minded to anybody that tells me my God lied to me. I'm closed-minded to anybody that tells me this book right here is full of mistakes. If it's got mistakes in it, we might as well go home. Well, we'll eat cereal first. We got that. Let's eat cereal. If this Bible's got lies in it, let's all eat cereal, and then let's just padlock this place or turn it into a skating rink. Are y'all with me tonight? But we have the Word of God. Ain't you thankful we have the Word of God? The Lord gave the Word. We have the Word of God. We have it. I love my Bible. I love what God said. Amen. Man, that fires me up. Let's do this. Let's have an invitation. Play something on the piano for us with the major. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Let's, let's just do it this way. Maybe, maybe you believe what I preach tonight. You say, preacher, I'm with you 100%. Well, let me ask you a question. How faithful are you to read this thing? 